Matthew chapter 13 and verse 3. Again, keep in mind uh, with the title as we go through here, the things that are associated with perseverance or apostasy. Matthew 13, 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. So this is someone that's planting seeds. And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they sprang up immediately because they had no deepness of earth. And the sun rising, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Some fell on good ground and yielded fruit. Indeed, 100-fold and 60 and 130. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, there's a section after this that talks about the purpose of parables, and I'm not going to go through it. I'm going to go to verse 18. It talks about the interpretation of what we just read, but pretty much in a nutshell, the purpose of parables is it's only for those that have ears to hear, and they're the only ones that can understand that. And parables are purposed to not be understood by those that don't have ears to hear. And God is the one, of course, that gives ears to hear. There's nothing inherently in the sinner where he has self-produced his own good ears. Yeah, and usually people think the very opposite. Parables are written so that people can more easily understand. It's the very opposite. That's probably one of the most famous myths among biblical ideas, I think, that people are confused on. Verse 18, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown by the wayside. Now again, we're going to go through the different types of people here that are hearers. Think in the context of the title of our message, Perseverance or Apostasy. But that which is sown on stony places is this. He who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and is temporary. When tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, he immediately stumbles. And that sown in the thorns is this. He who hears the word and the anxiety of this world and the deceit of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But that sown on the good ground is this. He who hears the word and understands who also bears fruit and produces one truly a hundredfold and one sixty and one thirty to them. So we last week looked at a different text and, and we by no means barely scratched the surface of that. I'm going to allude to some of that we looked at last week, but I just wanted to use this as a jumping board to get us to thinking about there are varieties, and we talked about that last week, varieties of people that come in and out of religion, mostly come out. Those that come in and stay are still in two groups, those that believe the truth, and those that sometimes are among, well, obvious false churches, of course, but some that are even among God's true churches that don't understand. Maybe they're for different motives. Maybe it's social. Maybe it's some grand music program like we have, right? <laughs> the band or uh, the coffee, right? That's the mega mega church is the band and the coffee. And then, the, you know, the pastor wearing the skinny jeans or whatever. But some people are there. I mean, they're, they're fooled. You know, they're deceived. And sometimes there's churches that are more aesthetically conservative, like with no religious stuff in them like ours. And people are, can still be deceived in groups like that. 
again, there's there's a multiplicity and a, a variety of different type people with different experiences and backgrounds that hear different levels of things. It's you could exhaust that and get crazy with the distinctions of different people, but it boils down to two: saved or lost, you know, perseverance or apostasy. And you could put deception under apostasy for those that actually persevere in deception and cross over the other side and hear that, Lord, Lord, haven't I done many wonderful things? And you'll hear the Lord say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, this uh, subject of perseverance or apostasy also has many tentacles, many related branches out of it. You might have seen that last week. You start to see everything that's connected to it. The implications of some of these things are far-reaching and a lot of related material of things that we already have covered and will cover in the future. So perseverance, what are we, what are we talking about? Uh, because we asked the question last week, sometimes when the subject comes up, we say, well, perseverance in what? Per, you know, what are you persevering in? And there again, you go to different groups and they'll give you different things, what they mean. They'll even give different meanings of what apostasy is, what it looks like. Perseverance would be these that will persevere and persist in the faith, in the gospel, to the end, in spite of difficulty, obstacles, discouragement, as we read in the text here about some examples of things that would hinder people from actually being real believers. They continue steadfastly believing, loving, and defending the gospel of grace and fellowshipping with others and loving them who also are their brothers and sisters in Christ who believe the same gospel. Same gospel, same Christ, same father, same family. Or those that are apostate, they will eventually depart from the faith. And who knows how long? Might be six hours, might be six months, might be six years, or they might go on and die in deception and find out after it's too late that they were deceived. Either way, it is they're not in agreement with the truth of the gospel. And it will be apparent... I believe in this life that they are not in league with or in alliance with those that they once were a part of and, and perhaps left for the reason of the message. I brought up two things last week. I'm going to try to speed through the uh, review. Two, two verses. Uh, Therefore, brothers, this is in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, rather be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Uh, so we talked about the importance of self-examination, checking yourself out, challenging yourself to see if you are really a believer and using the proper gospel criteria, judging yourself saved by the gospel, not by the law or by outward appearance or by what somebody else thinks that you don't have right, that it doesn't line up the scripture, uh, in their mind, doesn't line up the scripture, their, their reasons, what I'm saying. And then 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith and prove your own selves. Do you not know your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are reprobates, which goes in the direction of eventual apostasy, of course. We left off looking at uh, some of the text there. You don't have to turn there. I'm only going to like look at three verses. It was in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says, Know this. It's interesting how that starts. This is not something, a conjecture, that Paul is writing to Timothy. It's not, I think maybe this might happen. He says, no, know this. Also, that in the last days, grievous times will be at hand. Now, he uses the phrase last days, and I guess depending on what your eschatology is, your definition of last days may be different than what the scripture says, but the last days are the times after the death of Christ until 
Christ returns. So we've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. You hear some people say that we're in the last of the last days. Well, you could say that every day and stress it harder each day because we are getting closer to the end of the last days. So, yeah, but if you take these things that we're looking at, it amplifies really that point. Verse 2 said, because men will be lovers of themselves. Now, you know, that right there answers a lot of the issues in the seed and the sower text. They are lovers of themselves. Me, myself, and I, everything revolves around them. That's humanism, by the way. They are looking inside. They are selfish. It goes on to say money lovers. King James says covetous. If you have a problem with loving money or loving things that you buy with money, it will affect how you think about your satisfaction with the gospel, whether or not you're satisfied just with the gospel, just with Christ, or things. It's going to affect your mood, your mindset, your joy, and so on and so forth. It goes on to say boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents. And here's one that's related to lovers of yourselves and lovers of money. Unthankful. Uh, God's people uh, are people of grace, and they have been made to be thankful. They should see this idea of thankfulness more than anybody on the face of the earth. Unholy. And down in uh, verse 4, the second half of the verse, it kind of sums it up. Lovers, and it's related to the others, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think that is a summation, really. You are more important to yourself than anything in anybody around you, even God. And if you lean that way, you're going to have nothing but trouble in exorbitant any kind of truth because you are more important than the truth is. I've said for the longest time, the truth is more important than us. That's why we bow to it. The authority of Scripture alone must be bowed to. It's not, a, it's not a buffet where we pick things to suit ourselves. We are to love God premierly, supremely, and ourselves are to take a back seat. We worship Him. Otherwise, we are will worshipers, as it says in Colossians. Now, that our text last week in, in this area here, it said, uh, verse 1, it talked about uh, grievous or perilous times shall come. He said, know this. Now, I, I think we recognize that fact, that truth, that perilous times. He said that a long time ago. He said, shall come. We know they're here, right? Now, I know they could be more perilous. Uh, depending on what country you uh, people in history have lived in, and maybe there's executions of people believing what we believe, and there have been. They thought this is the last of the last days, right? So we're we're in this time. There's perilous times. So all more the reason to be content with Christ content with the gospel, content with a church that is in unity about the gospel and about Christ that doesn't have all the bells and whistles and the programs. I don't know how many people that said that I would move, we don't have a church to go to, I would move there, but you don't have any of the programs that suit our needs. I know some people, even locally, that go to a watered-down Calmenian church that one member here came out of to come here that are big on programs. And this husband is really into the doctrine that we teach here, but his wife wants the programs for the kids. So, as he said last week, we are all adults. 
We make our own decisions. We do what we want. So you can settle wherever you want for whatever reason. And I can't, I can't run anybody's life. And if they are motivated to do certain things and have certain incentives, then go ahead. You know, I can't control people. I, I don't want to control people. But if we have been, uh, this, this idea of contentment, I think the more you think about it, this is the remedy. Gospel contentment. Contentment with Christ is the key of keeping us level-headed. We have been brought low and humbled by sovereign grace, right? If we have sovereign grace, we know this, and we are proud and haughty, and we act stupid toward one another, and even in our own mind we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Something's not right there. And I know an immaturity that might happen, but I, I bring it up so that we can be reminded ourselves, let's not let that happen here. Uh, let's not let it happen in ourselves and among the group. But God has brought us low, and we realize that without Christ, we are nothing. We're nothing. I, I can't say that stronger. You know, I go below zero. The scripture does say in one spot that we are less than nothing. I think it's in Daniel, somewhere in Isaiah. I can't remember. But you know, the nations are as a drop in the bucket to God. He does all he pleases in the army of heavens and in the inhabitants of the earth. Nobody can stop his hand. Who's been his counselor? He runs it. He kills. He makes alive. He wounds. He heals. He declares the end from the beginning. He's in charge. He's the first cause of all things. Even the things we think are bad, he's in charge of it. He does it. We can't stop it. We've got to bow to him in that. And if, You can say that and like that and write about it and you know talk real big about it. And then it comes home and rubber meets the road and something's affected in your life. And then your, your baby lip sticks out. And it's, why me? Why me? And we are here as a group to say, Sovereignty of God. Don't you love this sovereign God? And there are purposes that he has in his eternal wise mind that he is running you through these things for something that will benefit you better than the little stupid thing you're sticking your lip out about. Contentment. Gospel contentment. Do we got it? So there are plenty of warnings in Scripture. But we seem to be slow. We're dull of hearing. We're slow to see. And, well, we're sinners still. We're justified sinners and we're, we're weak. That's why we need support of the body one with another. Not just me standing up here an hour and a half a week, but you yourselves studying yourselves in your own family together as a group. And then so you can, I, I need to be edified by you people too. You need to also edify people outside this group. This thing is, it's pretty clear. It's pretty easy. There's, this, there's no, like, secrets to success. They're in the scripture. We talk about them all the time. It's just the application of things. You know, I, I've spoken many times about, uh, you know, health issues or fitness issues and, or anything. I don't know, house organization, doesn't matter. I mean, I'm really good at finding out what's wrong. I find that better than anybody I know. And I can point out what's wrong. I can even have a plan to fix what's wrong. But applying, <laughs> this is called discipline, by the way, the discipline to do it, just do it. I'm way better at telling other people what to do than me just doing it myself and people looking at what I do and say, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I recognize that. We should, we should recognize the same thing spiritually in ourselves. And when we realize that, it will affect how we help other people. It will help our attitude. Does that make sense? In other words, we're not, we're not going to be jerks, proud, haughty, impatient, unloving, finger-pointing. I'm in my head more than I'm in anybody's head. And I told you before, I will debate with Paul the Apostle that I'm the chief of sinners, for real. 
Because when I look at Paul, he looks pretty good compared to me. Now, I'm going to read through a bunch of text here. You can follow along if you want. Uh, maybe I'll have you follow the, the more lengthy ones, and I'll just quote the shorter ones. Here's one uh, we all know. Take heed where you stand lest you fall. And I'm going to add, be diligent to do that. Be mindful to do that. You've seen people, I don't care if it's in the workplace, at school, or different places, or you know maybe family events. People start shooting off their mouth about who they are or what they're going to do or what they've done and that they would never do this or that <laughs> right here take heed be diligent to take heed be careful don't be foolish because you're setting your own self up for a fall and the more you talk big the more stupid you're going to look when you fall when we looked at the lordship thing, we looked at Matthew 7, talked about the house built on sand versus built on the rock, which was Christ. We talked about how that when the storm comes and the waters, you know, beat up against this uh, house, that it's going to fall. And not just that, great will be the fall thereof. It's going to be a thing where if you're anywhere nearby and it falls, you're going to pee your pants. Something like that. It's not going to be like, I wonder what that was. It's going to be shocking. And this is the idea. That happened last week. I, I've got this gigantic medicine cabinet that I thought, I'm going to get something nice for the master bathroom. And it's heavy. It's 50 pounds without anything in it. And it's loaded with stuff. Uh, I had to mirror open and I was doing bending down doing something when I came up I hit the corner of my head on the corner of the mirror that was open the door not not hard didn't hurt unless it's just a split second the sheer terror of the thing crumbling down uh, was so crazy loud and Becky was out on the back deck she came running in and thought it was uh, somebody was dead and uh, as it fell my vision shook Great the fall there will be. Don't, don't talk big about who you are, what you've done, or what you're going to do. Take heed where you stand. Make sure you're standing on the rock. Check your calling election. Examine yourselves. Here's one out of, uh, I'll just read this one, Romans 12.3. For I say, though, the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think soberly. Now, let me stop there just a second. This proves that I think everybody thinks of their self in some way. I don't think there's not been a person alive that doesn't think about their self in some way. The warning is, make sure you've got a biblically balanced spiritual head about you to think of yourself the way God says you are. Both in your own person, that you're nothing, and what you are in Christ. The positive. By faith, we look at ourselves in Christ and we have assurance. If we look at just like separate ourselves from Christ, just to look and ask ourselves, what are we outside of Christ? Less than nothing. Hopeless, right? In need of mercy and grace and so on. Now, the other part here I want us to see, it says, but think soberly. Anybody ever seen a drunk, somebody that is drunk, shoot off at the mouth about who they are? <laughs> I've seen it a bunch. They want to fight. They can, they can whip everybody in the world. They can embellish about what they have done that week and what they have done in the past. They're like superhuman. And the more they drink, the more they shoot off and embellish and lie and put people down. Take heed where you stay unless you fall. Usually a lot of that ends up in um, wrecking your car. 
puking all over yourself. It says, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So again, we, we ought to see that we're needy. We have needs. We have spiritual needs. I think we did a two or three part series on the needs of a justified sinner. So we have needs. The scripture talks about these needs all throughout. God's people have been taught by God that he will only receive them or anybody else as only accepted in the beloved. If we could just remember that, always. Keep that in the forefront of our mind in reference to everything that we engage in in the scripture that comes out to a, a practical uh, working out of our own salvation, as it says. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Getting back to the perilous times and these different issues with what our landscape of our spiritual, the, the world, the shape the world is in spiritually. Evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We read that a lot you know, over and over again in here. Notice the mathematical language, worse and worse. It's not going to get any better. People pass along these lies and they compound, they quantify. We know about the verse that says there will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. Well, if you don't see that times here, I'm not sure if you understand sound doctrine. We read other verses that say, redeem the time because the days are evil. In other words, it's a no-brainer that these are perilous times. So, perseverance or apostasy. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter into the holy of holies, how? By the blood of Jesus. That's the only place boldness comes from. I mean, let's be putting this together as we go, like like every week. Every week in every separate message, put it together, everything that's said. Carry that message over from last week, the week before, and bring them, keep bringing them all together because we're saying the same thing. And we're just continuing to put the pieces of the puzzle together in our minds spiritually, all of us. It's called growth in grace. By a, verse 20, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Having a high priest over the house of God that's set in place for us. We have that high priest. You read throughout Hebrews, it talks about how that he's a better priest. Everything's better in the new covenant. And it is a new covenant. It's new, brand new. The other one is not in place at all, right? We believe that here. So having this high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's tied to that boldness up there by the blood of Christ. That's where you have assurance too, is the blood of Christ. He is our assurance, this high priest, who is not only the uh, high priest, but he was the sacrifice, the spotless lamb. There is our boldness. Our boldness and assurance and our righteousness is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, exalted. I hope he's exalted in your mind. And every time we read these texts, I hope he becomes more and more exalted as you grow in grace. And you become more and more low, Right? And you adjust, every time you take in the word of God, every single time you make adjustments in your mind. Exaltation of Christ, lowliness of yourself. You, you will not fall if you do that. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies having been washed with pure water. Referring to the word of God. Andy has a shirt on today that uh, some of you guys also have one it says it's got a picture of a skeleton 
might have him come up here in a minute. And when turn the camera off so you can see it, but it talks about God's word. He's got a bar of soap. It says God's word on a bar of soap, and it's uh, scrubbing the brain. It says brainwashed, and it's a quote about renewing our mind. God has, uh, and greatly, gladly so, he has brainwashed us. He has given us a new mind. He's changed our minds. He didn't clean our old mind. He got rid of our old mind. We are not in the flesh anymore. We're in the spirit. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. How? <laughs> Without wavering. Why? For or because he is faithful who promised. That's in connection with what uh, Brian read earlier in Romans 4. It went pretty good. A lot of things in there went well with what we've said so far and what we're going to say concerning the promises of God in Christ. Verse 24, and let us, you, you people that claim to have this profession, let us consider one another. Now we talked about early on here in the introduction about not just always thinking about ourselves, loving ourselves. Look outside yourself. There's other people in this world besides you. So when you do that, especially those that believe the same gospel and they're in the same family, they've been adopted into the same family, when you see them, the exhortation is to consider them. Not just like you acknowledge they're there, Sometimes that doesn't even happen. And if people aren't here, that can't happen. So consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. So that is, that is what we, that's what we need to continually do. And let me remind everybody this. That's what others need to do to us that are in here. It's not just one way, it's two ways. Everybody should be considering everybody else to provoke them to love and to good works. It looks like here in this verse that believers somehow are able, maybe, possibly, to do good works. Is that what I see here? I, it looks like it. And I think I remember reading other texts that harmonize with this. It says that works could and should be done. But there are people out there that say the believer can't do any good works. They can't do any good. And that all that they do is sin. The just shall live by faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, if you're talking about in the flesh, yeah, everything we do is sin. But I, I would hope with a clear conscience I could say that I'm talking about the gospel this morning. And I don't think it's evil. Uh, in my life, this is the best thing that I can do. I can't do anything better than this. doesn't make me any better. You individually should be able to say the same thing. It is expounding the glory of God, pointing people away from themselves and yourself. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. In other words, it's saying we need to meet together. Don't forsake that. Don't, don't blow that off. It's important. Why? So you can get a, a merit badge for best attendance. It's got to be best attendance because perfect attendance won't work here. You can't. Is that why you're doing it? Are you just showing up because uh, if, I, if I don't show up, somebody's going to think badly of me? As I've said before, that person you're probably thinking, you may be thinking badly of you, might not be here either. Get all that crap out of your mind. We are here to worship the true and living God. You are accountable to do that. 
this should be your priority. And if it is not your priority, then you need to look at yourself and ask why it's not my priority. Why is not my priority with time and energy? You're waiting for me to say money. That's a no-brainer. It's going to be, and I don't mean $100 bills. That box back here takes pennies as well as $100 bills. We know we could go to the, the widow with the two mites or what I mean. We need to meet together because we have needs. And if you have needs and you don't meet together, your needs will not be met. Not very well. I know these are perilous times. And some people might think, well, this is 21st century. We've got all this technology. The Internet replaces Hebrews 10.25. I assemble somehow in my heart with other believers across the country. I know, I know other believers across the country that would do anything to be close to a church that preaches the truth. And we had one leave last week that lives five miles away. Departed. I don't want to stand here and brag and point out names of people that do drive a long way. I've talked to people that have drive, driven six hours one way, and they don't do it every week. They'll do it every other week. And a lot of people scratch their head, why? It's because they don't understand the distinctions of the true gospel, what the gospel is and what it's not, where you can find it. We are to meet together, not so we can feel better about being here, and other people can like say, hey, good job, you know, you're, you're in the good attendance club. No, if you don't meet together, you will be weaker than you are. It goes on to say, as the manner of some is, don't forsake uh, yourselves to, together as the manner of some is. But here we go. Look at this. But exhorting one another, and here's a really important part, and so much the more, increasingly. Contrast this with so much the more as you see the day approaching. So contrast this with the earlier talk about the days, how that they're evil, how they're perilous. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. If evil men are waxing worse and worse, what do you think? There's like three in the world they're talking about? No, they're all over, right? We're in the minority. We're in the extreme minority. So going in, we talked about the war within ourselves between the flesh and the spirit, and we know that as a church body, we're at war with the world. In that world, it's perilous. Evil men are out there. The days are evil. It's just crazy. It is massive spiritual warfare. And they're all, they hate us. They hate our Christ. They hate our gospel. And if you're not meeting together to exercise, have your uh, senses spiritually exercised, like it talks about in Hebrews 5, then you're going to be sucking a bottle. That's what it talks about in uh, Hebrews 5. You're in need of milk. You got, somebody's got to go back and say, Are you, I don't know if you've got this elementary message down or not. We need to grow together. And, but if people choose not to engage in this battle, if they don't have a concern about their own growth, it's, there's just trouble on down the line. I've had three kids and six grandkids, seven on the way, and I think I've fed them all with a bottle before. And, you know, one of the great things is you're, you're trying to get them to hold their own bottle, right? And when they do, it's pretty cool that they hold their own bottle. And then you see them progress. You're always wanting to see these kids and grandkids pr progress and tell them all these things about safety and about health and about strangers and this, that, and the other. All these warnings and all these exhortations and admonitions. And then you see them finally maybe picking up on these things and it's it, it makes you ha it makes you rejoice and before long they're eating a steak dinner with you at a restaurant you're a grandkid and you're thinking i remember when you couldn't even hold your own bottle go get me that book in the my room would you <laughs> 
where they couldn't walk before. Now you got them doing chores. And then, you know, from generation to generation, that you would hope that keeps going. And you, I don't know if it's naive, but I always thought it would be neat if, you know, each generation would improve on all these things. Things would get better within at least the family. You would think the same thing with churches. Like, I've seen historically have a good, sound theologian, preacher, pastor in a church. And when he leaves, the thing just goes downhill. Growth in grace. We have needs. The needs must be fulfilled. This is a family and the, a, a unit, a body, and this has to be done together. Not a dictatorship or a pope or whatever. And it says that we're to do this increasingly so. Because don't you, as you grow, you see that really how weak that you are? Really, it magnifies. I, I didn't realize I was that weak. I did that. I thought that. I can't believe I did or thought that. I need some strength. Here in uh, verse 26, uh, a misconstrued verse, it says, For if we sin willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. This specific sin here, if we sin willfully, is talking about unbelief. It's what the whole book of Hebrews is warning these about. Not Don't go back into a conditional system, the old covenant system. Unbelief, which is what? Apostasy, right? He, he's saying, are you guys going to persevere here or are you going to apostatize? And some of these things in the middle that I'm telling you about your fuel and your food that you're going to use to thriving spiritually, the means are there. But if you remove yourself from those means and you listen, you put your ear to the counsel of the world that says, uh, the lie of Satan that is appealing to you and say, no, here you can do this and be accepted by God by getting yourself involved in this old covenant and doing these things like the Jews of old, that rich tradition that we had. I'm of my father, Abraham. I have no need of this one that calls himself the great I am. A thing a person will hear that's synonymous with depart from me, you work iniquity, is you're of your father, the devil. That is saying the same thing. And it's saying it for the same reason. It says, here's what you got to look forward to if you apostatize, if you uh, go back or draw back from the gospel. Verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Jump down to verse 38. So Paul contrast, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, contrasts these statements, this big giant warning with this. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back from faith in the gospel, faith in Christ, if they draw back, if they go back into their false religion, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The writer, some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, but anyway, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in other words, God is telling us here, he's talking, he's getting the ear of those that have an ear to hear. He says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them who believe to the saving of the soul. In other words, those who persevere in the faith, believing the gospel. Where these others, they're going to go, they're going to go on back. You cannot be ultimately responsible for what they do in their own minds, but only tell them, look at what you're doing. And this is what you got to look forward to. Fiery indignation, judgment of God. Because there's only one God, one gospel, one truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So how can we persevere when we ourselves personally are such in weak shape and the world around us 
it is blazing with warfare. And we're just one person. And we see our weakness. We've already talked about some of the means to get some strength. We'll look at a few more incentives for strength. God's people have been given so much grace. We meet together and we talk once, uh, you know, one with another about this all the time. We exhort one another concerning what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. We talk about the gospel. We talk about uh, this Trinitarian salvation. We talk about the preeminence of Christ, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. We just, we hit it from so many different, and there's not enough time in the day. So bring in mind, be reminded of, and I'm kind of chronologically, some systematic theologians might want to argue with me, I don't care. Kind of put these things in chronological order, but these are the things that, that God has brought us into and affected us by and with that we need to remember. Now, this is just a, just a small short list. There's all kind of stuff in between. When he was before time and initiated the, really not initiated because he's eternal, the, the covenant of grace, the purpose within himself to do what he's doing in reference to our salvation, he placed us there in his mind there. What's connected with that? Love, the eternal love of God, unconditional on our part, conditioned on Christ alone. Election, unconditional election, conditioned on Christ, nothing what we did. He wrote our names in the book of life. He predestinated us unto the adoption of sons. That's the work of the Father, all those things. And then Christ's work, it's the sufficient, definite, effectual, finished work for his people. This is what we hammer on every week and focus in on Christ to him crucified. We were just talking about earlier about propitiation, uh, satisfaction, expiation, redemption. We're bought with a price. We're not our own, which is related to what we we're talking about earlier. We, we, are, we are no longer our own. We worship a God over us who has dominion over us, who has wisely chosen to be over us with the dominion of grace. His sovereign grace. We have uh, been reconciled. So we have peace with God. We have the powerful, effectual work of the Holy Spirit in us because of what Christ did for us. It includes regeneration or spiritual life. We're, we are justified now. We're in a state of justification. and We are in the state of the non-imputation of sin. Sin can't even be charged to us anymore. We have his perfect righteousness. We have forgiveness of sins. We're sanctified, set apart by God. Nothing can change that. We've been given faith. People talk about faith for different reasons. I don't think you can talk about it enough uh, if you talk about it the right way. Because we've been given faith, not been offered faith. He works it powerfully in us. He creates faith in our new mind by the power of the Spirit through the Word of God. We have faith now. That's what we operate off of. And faith looks to all these things that we're talking about right here. All these things of salvation. We look to uh, those things contained in the scripture and we say, yes. <laughs> Amen. That's where we derive our joy from. Because all these things are done by God and not by us. We don't make them happen. We're given repentance from all the things that the apostates are grappling for been given repentance from that all that dung that we used to hold to so precious we have a cleansed conscience we've been adopted we have assurance he's even interceding for us the right hand of God all this is done by free and sovereign grace and that and more that we didn't list should be enough incentive to persevere and enough enough of a foundation to persevere rightly in our mind primarily because we're already preserved I also mention something real quick about sanctification 
I keep seeing this mistake about sanctification as if, and, and I heard David talk about something about something about Piper. He's just coming more clearly out on exposing himself more about eventual final justification based on works. I mean, us, we've, we saw that a mile away, but I guess he's made some definitive bold statements about it. But the idea of sanctification, uh, some people have this idea. It's almost like Rome, how that one day you hope to be a saint. And, in, uh, you know, they, they vote on it in Rome. You know, you're declared one by some council or something or a pope. I don't know how it works. I don't care. Scripture talks about when you are born again, you're justified. You've been, all, all these things we listed that are for us and happen to us. Then day one, you're a saint. You don't hope to be one. You don't improve so you can be called one. You are one from start to finish. You are a saint. You're set apart and God did it. You have nothing to do with it. So as you step out to do these practical things, these exhortations, commands, all these things, you do it already as a full-fledged saint. That way it takes away all the wind out of your sails for incentive of trying to do something to become a saint. So you could bring up any other term, holiness, righteousness, this, that, and the other. That's already established. We don't do things to become saved or get more saved or hope to be saved in the end. His grace is sufficient to persevere in the faith, the truth of the gospel. I'm going to stop right there. I've got a bunch more left. I don't know if it'll be a part three. I was thinking about doing something on the five solas next week because it's close to Reformation Day. And maybe come back to this later, or, or maybe not. But does anybody have any questions or comments? All right.